Would you please turn to Second Chronicles chapter 29? Second Chronicles chapter 29. Give you a little bit of a background. You know, I mentioned, I don't know if it's this past Sunday, but Israel went through so many ups and downs. They had good kings and they had bad kings. And they had good kings and they had bad kings. And on rare occasions, they had kings that were really, really good. Well, we're going to read a little bit about one of the kings of Israel. That He's a pretty good king. And to lead into this, it's, it's Hezekiah. And to lead into this, prior to him becoming the king... Israel was a mess. And I mean, it was bad. The, um, the previous king had been really evil and wicked, and he had actually sacrificed at least one of his children to some false god. He had, uh, he kind of, he had messed up the temple. He had put pagan things in the temple moved a lot of the things that were supposed to be in there, and it's like he stuffed them in a closet somewhere. You know, that's my way of explaining it. So it was bad. And stuff was going on there in the temple that was just an abomination before God. Well, anyway, um, Hezekiah becomes king. Now, we need to read quite a bit of scripture here to really understand what was going on. Because when Hezekiah took over, it wasn't just a matter of, Okay, guys, um, we're all going to worship God now. We're going to do the right thing. No, there was a lot that took place before that. You'll understand it as we read this. So beginning in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, um, we'll just start in verse 1. Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old, and he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. Now, just stop there for a moment. If the Bible were being written, let's say there was a chapter in the Bible being written about you. Could it say, and he or she did that which was right in the sight of the Lord? Could it say that? Now, we're not going to go around and give you an opportunity to lie. <laughs> yes, you're welcome. <laughs> but, you know, he was 25 years old when he began to reign. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, I, when I was 25 years old, I hadn't been doing a whole lot that was right in the sight of the Lord. This puts me to shame. And this guy wasn't even born again. And the thing is, he had a horrible example before him, but yet he still made it the decision to do that which was right. Okay. Now what I'm getting at at this point is, parents, you do your best, but you have to know that just like some of these kings in Israel who did right before God, your child may grow up to be a pagan's pagan. Not just how it is. Do not beat yourself over the head. 
Because I'm telling you right now, that is a trap that Satan will set for you. And if you step in it, you're going to be blaming yourself for the rest of your life. Where did I go wrong? Okay, fair question. Where did God go wrong? You say, what do you mean? Have you ever read Genesis chapter 3? Where did God go wrong? He took his two kids, put them in absolute perfection. Something no parent today has been able to do. And look what they did. Look what Adam and Eve did. So you know what? Don't beat yourself up. Now granted, if you lived a life of sin and stupidity in front of your kids, you did have some input. But still the kids made the choice. Just like Hezekiah. He had all kinds of terrible things before him. And yet when he took over, he said, that's it. We're not doing this anymore. So, you know, the choice is yours, and the choice is your kids. So moving on here. In verse 3, he, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. In other words, even the doors were messed up. In the first month, I mean, as, as soon as he takes over, he says, that's it, we're fixing things around here. Now, you and I both know that not everybody would have been happy about that, especially the, the people that want to get involved in the pagan stuff. He didn't care. He didn't care at all. He knew there's a standard that needs to be set well, there's a standard that's been set. It came from God. We need to follow it. And that's another lesson for parents. You cave in. You, you cave in. And you will answer to God. You know, you don't let your kids bring the booze in the house. Or the porn. You don't let them bring their boyfriend or girlfriend in to, to spend the night. You don't do that. You establish a pattern of holiness in your home. And if you can't do that, you need to go before God and repent. I, I mean, if you won't do that, man, I don't know what to tell you. Because you're in a worse state than your kids. You know, a wimpy, spineless, you're just going to, you know, well, yeah, but, you know, they might. Yeah, they might. What do you mean? They, they already are. They already are. So then, he, it says here, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them, and he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street. Now, this is interesting. It, you know, he gets a word and he says, okay, all you priests, all, all you from the tribe of Levi, you meet me here at such and such time, we're having a meeting. So he calls them together, and in verse 5, he said unto them, Hear me, okay, now remember, how old is he when he's doing this? 25. He was probably the youngest one at the meeting, or one of the youngest. And he said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of this holy place. Now there are a lot of churches 
that need a pastor to stand up and say, leaders in this church, we're getting the filthiness out of this place. And if that means the entire praise team is shut down and removed, that's what it means. We'll sing a cappella. We're going to get the filthiness out of the house of God. And I'll tell you, I mean, you could preach on that alone. We're going to get the filthiness out of the house of God. And I, the day is coming, that, and it's here, to where when pastors take the stand of Hezekiah, they're going to have people in their church get really angry at them if those people in the church are involved in filthiness. And it's not a matter of being cruel, it's a matter of get the filthiness out of the house of God. And I guess really I could just say, hey, you know, if you happen to be involved in filthiness, and you don't have to, we don't have to go into detail about this, but if you're involved in it, then what you need is for me to look you right in the eye and say, get it out of your life or get out of this church. Because we're not going to have that kind of spiritual cancer in this place. Not if we're going to do what's right before God. And I'll tell you right now, you've got people out there, even Christians, oh, but that's so cold and so heartless. You ever heard of Ananias and Sapphira? <laughs> and so, look what he says here. Verse 5, Sanctify now yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord, and carry forth the filthiness out of this holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken Him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. Also, they have shut up the doors of the porch, put out the lamps. They have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore, the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem and he hath delivered them to trouble and to astonishment and to hissing as you see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, be not now negligent for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him to serve him that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. Now the burning incense, that goes back to what God told Moses to do when they would burn that holy incense before him. That's what he's talking about here. Then the Levites arose, Mahath the son of Amasai, and Joel the son of Azariah, the sons of the Kohathites, and the sons of Merari, Kish the son of Abdi, and Azariah the son of Jehalelel, and of the Gershonites, Joah, the son of Zimah, and Eden, the son of Joah, and the sons of Elzaphan, uh, Shimri, and Jeiel, and the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mattaniah, and the sons of Heman, Jehiel, and Shemai, and the sons of Jeduthun, Shemaiah, and Uziel. Now, right then, you guys should have given me a standing ovation, because I did pretty good. <laughs> And they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves and came according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Now stop right there. The whole thing of sanctifying themselves, not even going to get into that. It didn't even look it up. You go back and under the law, the, those who are members of the tribe of Levi, 
They had a responsibility of going through like a cleaning process, you know, for their clothes and washing their bodies and so on and so forth. Um, so very simply put, that what he's, you know, talking about here, about the sanctifying yourself. Well, in verse 16 it says, And the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord, and the Levites took it to carry it out abroad to the brook of Kedron. Now, they took it like a, to a dump. Like Now, what, what had happened, there was all kinds of stuff in there uh, today. If we use terminology we can relate to today, there would have been Ouija boards in there. There would have been pentagrams in there. There would have been um, the horoscope in there. I mean, just all kinds of stuff related to paganism. It was in the house of God. Well, it says in verse 17, Now they began on the first day of the first month to sanctify, and on the eighth day of the month came they to the porch of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days, and in the sixteenth day of the first month they made an end. So it, it wasn't just an overnight, one-day, two-day thing. They're working pretty hard here. The whole bunch of them. It wasn't like three or four people. There was a massive cleaning crew that went in there to deal with this. And I, I don't know how they felt, but I'm guessing... Some of them might have been, I don't even want to touch this stuff. I don't even, you know, God protect me. Well, it continues, and it says here in verse 18, Then they went into Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord and the altar of burnt offering with all the vessels thereof and the showbread table and uh, with all the vessels thereof. Moreover, all the vessels which King Ahaz in his reign did cast away in his transgression, transgression have we prepared and sanctified, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. So just, you know, think of it like this. In this particular room, they took all the stuff out that was related to the pagans, and they brought back in the music stands and the pulpit and the pews and the communion altar. They, they brought everything back in, and if it had been destroyed, they rebuilt it to make sure everything was set up the way it was supposed to be. Well, in verse 20, Then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the rulers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bullocks and seven rams and seven lambs and seven he-goats for a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the son of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. Now, notice he starts with the leadership. Because he says here, he rose early, verse 20, gathered the rulers of the city, and they went to the house of the Lord. So he's starting with the leadership. The priests are there, he's there, and he's got the leadership of the people. And it says here, verse 22, they killed the bullocks, and the priest received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, when he had killed the rams, they sprinkled the blood upon the altar. They killed also the lambs, and they sprinkled the blood upon the altar. That would have taken quite a bit of time to kill all these animals and to go through the sprinkling of the blood the way they were supposed to. And they brought forth the he-goes for the sin offering before the king and the congregation, and they laid their hands upon them, and the priest killed them. They, uh, and the priest killed them, and they made reconciliation with their blood upon the altar to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. And he set the Levites and the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps, according to the commandment of David, and of Gad the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet, so was the commandment 
of the Lord by His prophets. Okay, what are you doing in verse 25? What do you see there? They're bringing the worship back into the house of God. And to me, this is not just a passing verse. To me, this is a statement from God. Keep my house clean, and you better be sure the worship is in that place. And it says here in verse 26, And the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets, and Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by the king of, by David, king of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that would have been a really cool day to be in the house of the Lord. Even if you didn't understand a single word they were saying, you would know the presence of God through that worship. And all the congregation worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. Now, to me, it's like God is just continuing to emphasize they're praising, they're singing, they're playing the instruments, they're worshiping me. And it's almost like God is saying, hey, church, are you catching on here? There's something to this, and you need to be a part of it every time you come together. Well, in verse 31, Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now have you consecrated yourselves unto the Lord, Come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. And the congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were of a free heart burnt offerings. Now, once again, we notice that all this praise and worship took place, and Hezekiah says, Now have you consecrated yourselves unto the Lord. In other words, praise and worship was vitally important for somebody who was committing themselves to serving God. Now guys, if it was like that back then, how much more so those of us in the body of Christ today? How can you, act, how can you say, I am totally committed to serving God, when you won't praise Him, won't worship Him, when you come together in the house of the Lord? You understand what I'm saying? Well, in verse 32 it says, The number of the burnt offerings which the congregation brought was threescore and ten bullocks and a hundred rams and two hundred lambs, and all these were for a burnt offering to the Lord. And the consecrated things were six hundred oxen and three thousand sheep. But the priests were too few, so that they could not flay all the burnt offerings. Wherefore their brethren, the Levites, did help them till the work was ended, and until the other priests had sanctified themselves, for the Levites were more upright in heart to sanctify themselves than the priest. Now, here's what's going on here, very briefly. If you were the descendant of Aaron, you had a greater responsibility concerning the sacrifice of an animal and the offering of its blood. And here what it's saying is, when it says the priests were too few, essentially what it's saying is, they didn't have enough descendants of Aaron to do this, so they got the other members of the tribe of Levi to come in and help out to make sure this was all done. Well, it says, verse 35, And also the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings and the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. 
And Hezekiah rejoiced at all the people that God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly. In other words, it doesn't mean suddenly as in overnight. What it means was, as soon as Hezekiah is the king, do this. We're not waiting three or four or ten years. Do it and do it now. And so within days, this is all set in motion. And really, you're talking about, well, within a few weeks, this is what's happening. Now, we pick this up in chapter 30, verse 1. And Hezekiah said to all Israel and Judah, and wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. So now what's happened? Well, Hezekiah becomes king. And he, he calls in the priestly leadership. And he says, guys, get in there to the house of the Lord and clean it up. You know, those who were before us, they send, and there's all this filth in there. Get in there, clean up the house of the Lord. So they go in, they clean it up. And then he says, okay, now, there are some of you, you're supposed to be the praisers and the worshipers. So he set them in place. And they brought in all these animals, and he called in the leadership of the people, the leaders, like um, the city council members, the mayor, okay, the leaders came in. And they had this incredible um, time of praise and worship and sacrifice unto God. When that is over, verse, or chapter 30, verse 1, Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and he wrote letters, okay, now the rest of you come to the house of the Lord. The rest of the population come to the house of the Lord. For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together in, uh, to Jerusalem. And the thing pleased the king and all the congregation. So they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba even to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, for they had not done it of a long time in such short as it was written. So the posts, the letters, the posts went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah, according to the commandment of the king, saying, Ye children of Israel, turn again to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the, uh, to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Syria. Okay, now what's he, who's he talking to in this? Jews. You understand that? Jews. Symbolically, again, don't just look at this as an Old Testament story. This is a prophetic message for the body of Christ. And so, the word is going out saying, now let me kind of paraphrase here. Those of you who are born again, those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, turn again to the Lord. Turn again to the Lord. And he says, verse 7, And be not like your fathers and like your brethren which trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation as ye see. Now be ye not stiff-necked or stubborn as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and enter into his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if you turn again unto the Lord, 
your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive, so that they shall come again into this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and he will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. So the post passed from city to city throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even into Zebulun. Now look at this. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. See that? Okay, what was the warning that was given? First off, it was an encouragement. Come back. Okay? Come back. Make things right with God. Come to the house of the Lord. Let's, let's get our lives in order before Him. He says, because if you don't, His fierce wrath will not be turned away from you. And then you've got people, as it says here in verse 10, that heard this, that read it, and laughed them to scorn and mocked them. Now, these are people that should have known better. These are people who were Jews who had the law. These were people who should have known, yeah, we better do this, because we know what's happened the last you know, several centuries when those before us rebelled against God. We know what happened uh, there in the wilderness when the Israelites came out of Egypt and how that, well, you know what, it was one thing after another. They just made God mad. Fire from heaven falls out. All kinds of stuff happens. So you know what? We better think about this. And we better do what Hezekiah is saying. Make it right. But no, they didn't do that. Guys, in the body of Christ today, the word is going out. Repent. The word is going out. Get the, get the filthiness out of the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Get the filthiness out of your life. Get the trash out of your life. Start Start acting like somebody who is truly born again. Stop fitting into the world on the job site. Stop trying to look like the world. Start trying to look like Jesus Christ, your Redeemer. Repent, because if you don't, then you will face the fierceness of God's wrath in the final days. This is the warning that God is giving to the body of Christ. And you've got Christians right now they are laughing to scorn and mocking this message. You're a Pharisee. You're just trying to control our lives. You know what? If I could control your life, then your, your life would be a whole lot better. But I can't do that. thing is, neither can God. That's why He sends the call out to repent and make it right. Well, if you look here in verse 11, Nevertheless, Divers, or some, of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Do you know why Christians are acting the way they are today? Pride. Because the only way that the, the divers, the people of Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun did what they did was because they humbled themselves. There are too many Christians that don't want to humble themselves before the standard of God's Word. They want to do what they want to do. I'll humble myself to the point to where it's convenient for me. But once it becomes an inconvenience, you ain't telling me nothing. Like, all right, well, you know, make up your own rules, write your own Bible and live by it, but trust me, God's hand won't be on it. This is something you're going to have to deal with. Well, it says in verse 12, Also in Judah the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of the Lord. And there assembled at Jerusalem much people to keep the feast of unleavened bread 
in the second month, a very great congregation. In the second month of what? <laughs> it really is talking about the second month of King Hezekiah's reign. I mean, talk about suddenly, things are happening. Things are moving. Now, again, this needs to be a message to the body of Christ. There is a suddenly coming. Remember what Jesus said about his return? It's going to be like a thief in the night. When you least expect it, I will be coming back. There is a suddenly, and I'm telling you right now, there's also going to be a suddenly move of God in these last days here in this earth, and a lot of Christians are going to be caught off guard. They're not going to know what in the world is happening, but it's going to be the hand of God moving on this nation and throughout the world to shake. Everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. That's Scripture. And it says here, and they arose, verse, verse 14, they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars for incense took they away and cast them into the brook Kidron. Now, you might say, well, I thought they already did that. No, they took the stuff that was in and right there at the temple, got rid of it. Now, the people are taking, when they find something out there that is not of God, they're taking it and they're, they're saying, no, not in our city, not going to happen. No, not in our city, not going to happen. <laughs> Let me just throw this out, food for thought. Have you ever considered that maybe we as Christians could pray that every bar closed down and say, nope, not in our city. That altar of rebellion is not going to exist in our city. What are bars? They're a place where people go, get drunk, and usually try to pick somebody up to have a good time. I mean, essentially that's what goes on. And if you've never run to bars, well, you know what? Thank God. <laughs> and don't. Don't start. Anyway, he continues here, and he says, And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars for incense took they away, and cast them into the brook Kidron. Then they killed the Passover on the fourteenth day of the second month, and the priest and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. And they stood in their place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received of the hand of the Levites. Now here's where it gets kind of interesting. Well, I think it's already been interesting. Here's where it gets a little more interesting. Now remember what's happened. He's already met with the priests. He's already met with the leadership. Now, the people, the mass, however many, we don't know for sure. But he calls all the people to come in. And it says here in verse 17, For there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore, the Levites had the charge of the killing of the Passovers for everyone that was not clean to sanctify them unto the Lord. Very briefly, you were supposed to, there was a process you were supposed to go through before you bring your, your offering to God. And it says here that, well, a lot of the people weren't sanctified, so the Levites stepped in and did it for them. Because they weren't ready to do it for themselves. They, weren't, they hadn't gone through this sanctifying process. Go back and read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you'll see all this. So the Levites stepped in and did it for them. And it says, verse 18, For a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, 
yet did they eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. In other words, until you go through this cleansing, sanctifying thing, you're, you're not supposed to be eating the Passover meal. But they did it anyway. Now look at this. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon everyone, now look here, that prepareth his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary, and the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. Now if you'd have gone to Moses and said, you think that's possible? Moses might have said, they ain't no way. Ain't going to happen. But now here, look what's happening. These people are eating the Passover when they're not really, they haven't taken their bath yet, okay? <laughs> but they're eating the Passover. And the priests, they knew, you know, I'm really supposed to be doing this. And Hezekiah, he knew, hey, you're not supposed to be doing this. But he goes to God. And he says, now, now Lord, we know that they're not supposed to be doing this because they haven't gone through all the ceremonial washings and, and all that. However, what I'm asking is this. All these people, look at their hearts, God. Look at their hearts. They're here to seek you. They're here to seek you. Even though they haven't gone through the cleansing the way that they're supposed to, but they're here to seek you. And I'm asking you, please forgive them. Please forgive them for, you know, being out of order. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. He hearkened. Now, here's, there's a message in this. There are churches today, you know what, there are some people who teach that until you are living a fully sanctified life, you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit. Until you get all the sin out, until there's until absolute perfection, you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Completely missing what the Bible says about that the Holy Spirit helps us with our infirmities. See, you can be born again and filled the Holy Spirit within the same 15 seconds. And still need a bath. You understand what I mean? God, you don't have to be perfect to go before God. What you do have to have is a heart that is seeking after Him. And you can play games all you want and learn how to say the right things in church, but if your heart isn't right, you're held accountable. And Hezekiah, I mean, man, this is such an incredible story. Well, we continue here in verse 21. And the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days. Now, that's what they were supposed to do, seven days, with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with loud instruments unto the Lord. The worship was continuing. The praise was continuing. And it wasn't just a silent, under-your-breath kind of a thing. This was a God festival that was going on. And Hezekiah spake comfortably unto all the Levites that taught the good knowledge of the Lord, and they did eat throughout the feast seven days, making peace or offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. Making confession. What were they confessing? Anything they could think of. God, I'm sorry I ran that stop sign. Now, <laughs> of course, I didn't think they. I don't think they had those back then. But what I'm saying is. These people were going before God with a contrite heart. 
They were seeking Him with all their heart. God, I want to be right before You. Please forgive me for anything and everything, and everything and anything. God, I want to be right before You. That's what this is talking about. And it says here, look at this. And the whole assembly, the whole bunch of them, however many thousands, the whole assembly took counsel to keep other seven days. And they kept other seven days with gladness. In other words, okay guys, feast time's over. Uh, we can all go back home again and say, no, 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 uh-uh, no, no, we're, we don't want to do that. No, no, we want another seven days of praise and worship and feasting and celebrating and seeking Almighty God. We want another seven days. You know, I have never been in a church service where the people said, no, don't stop preaching. <laughs> go another seven days. <laughs> but here's the thing. Concerning that. See, these people were so desirous to seek and rejoice in God, they wanted another seven days. Now, there's a message in this, because the more that we press into God, is the more we are going to want to gather together in His presence. And one, there is a, and I'm not trying to cast stones or make anybody uncomfortable, but I'm telling you right now, when people are truly pressing into God, they're going to want to be here. They're going to want to be here with everybody else, praising, worshiping, seeking God, hearing the Word. They're going to want to. It won't. Yeah, it might be kind of an inconvenience. I didn't get much sleep, but I'm going. Think about the inconvenience these people went through. They left home. They're gone for two weeks. They weren't thinking about, oh, I've got to cut the grass. <laughs> You know, they weren't thinking about that. They said, no, no, no. We want to be here. We want to be here rejoicing before God. Well, verse 24. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, did give to the congregation a thousand bullocks and seven thousand sheep, and the princes gave to the congregation a thousand bullocks and ten thousand sheep, and a great number of priests sanctified themselves. And the congregation of Judah with the priests and Levites and all the congregation that came out of Israel and the strangers that came out of the land of Israel that, and that dwelt in Judah rejoiced. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven." Their prayer was heard. God heard their prayer. Now notice this. What we see here is, in verse 21, these people, again, the imagery, they're feasting at the table of the Lord. And in verse 22, Hezekiah spake comfortably to all the Levites that taught the good knowledge of the Lord. What's happening there? The Word is being taught. The Word is going forth. And what else do we see in all of this? We see all of this, this worship that is taking place. The singers, the musicians that are just continuing to praise God. And then we see in verse 27, it says, Their prayer came up to God's holy dwelling, even unto heaven. So to kind of summarize that, what we're seeing is prayer, worship, the Word, and feasting at the table of the Lord. Nobody was fasting during this time. And that's okay. 
But the point I'm trying to make is the imagery that God is presenting to us, it still carries forth today. The prayer, the fasting, and the, the prayer, the worship, and the word, feasting, like we are here tonight at the table of the Lord. And there is a time for the fellowship of, of actual feasting before God. Because what it does, it, it fosters the family relationship within the congregation. So yeah, fasting has, it, has its place. But what we see here, there's also the element of feasting before God, coming together. Now, this whole passage that we have read, there's more to it. Um, starting in verse 31, Hezekiah continues dealing with some things, but the point I'm making is this. There's a message here for the body of Christ and for us. is that we have to do everything we can to keep the place where we meet, whether it's this building, the next building, wherever we meet, we have to keep it clean of filthiness. We absolutely have to purge it. That means when you come in here, you need to look like somebody who's bearing witness of salvation to Jesus Christ. You better have the testimony of, well, in the New Testament, it gives the description of uh, people dressing modestly. Now, we're not preaching clothesline, but it really doesn't take a whole lot of thinking to figure this out. There needs to be respect for this. And then we need to have this inner desire to hear the Word of God, to want to be taught. We need to have that desire to be together, to praise the Lord, to engage in His presence through worship. There needs to be that desire, yeah, you know, for the fasting, but also to come together for fellowship. You know, it, it's... I, boy. Let me say it like this. In all the years that I have uh, been here, and it, other churches be the same, but there are some people... They don't seem to value the times of family fellowship that we have when we have those times of family fellowship. In other words, why don't you want to join in the meal with us? Why is it you feel like as soon as the service is over and you know that basically everybody's going to you know, go to the fellowship hall or whatever, for family time, you know, you've got to get out of here. You got to go. You got to leave. Well, I don't know where all these people go when that happens. I don't know what they're doing. Um, and again, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. What I'm trying to do is get us to think about this. Because, guys, the closer we get to the return of Jesus, the more we're going to need each other in our lives. And here we see Hezekiah, he stood up and he said, You know what? No more compromise. We are going to bear the standard of God and live it. And that has to be the message, not only in this church, but any church that truly wants to see an outpouring and revival. We have to take this standard, the Word of God, and hold it up. And this is what we live by. And whatever needs to be purged, it's got to be purged. Whatever needs to be changed, it's got to be changed. We have to make that determination, I will seek God. I will. I will desire His Word. I will desire the worship. And, and on and on it goes. And whatever needs to be repented of, yeah, guys, it needs to be repented of and it needs to be stopped and it needs to be removed from our lives 
Because even in the Old Testament, the warning was, if you don't, you're going to face the fierceness of God's wrath. And that's repeated in the New Testament as well. Worded differently, but the warning is still there. We need to be an example to the world, praise God. We need to be, we need to follow the, the standard that Hezekiah set forth, live by you know, the, the symbolism of the reforms that he established, and be a people that others can look at and say, yeah, there is something about you that's different. There's something really unique about you. You actually live what you preach. Praise God.